welcome to the intro. This is a podcast. This is the Feedback Force podcast where we talk about video games with you, the lovely members of the End Defender community. My name is Kelso. Uh, my name is Kyla. I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. Hooray. We did it. We're going to talk about Rus this week. I, al- I, almost, I almost pronounced it Rius. There was like a pause there. If you, you heard got it, it. You got I it. did it. <laughs> nope. Rus. It's Dutch. Yes, if it you, is Dutch. If you have a tough time pronouncing it, be angry at the Dutch. That's okay. Actually, before we talk about us, let's talk about let's talk about us, you guys. What did you guys do over the past couple weeks? How have you been? <laughs> well, uh, since the first week I talked about how excited I was that Hannibal was coming out soon, and then last week I talked about how excited I was that Hannibal had just come out. Now <laughs> this week, now this week I get to talk about how sad I am that Hannibal has been discontinued. Yeah, it'll. I'm fairly certain it'll get picked up picked up by some online. Yeah. Service. Oh my God, we are we are campaigning so hard to get picked up by Netflix or Amazon or somebody. I, if anybody who follows me on Twitter listening to this knows, like. I, I was spamming everybody's feeds with like one of the the Save the Hannibal, Hannibal campaigns. I will have you know, I tweeted a Save Hannibal tweet, even though I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I, I tweeted it too. on the strength of my love of William Blake. I nice. tweeted it out of support for everybody else tweeting. Yes. Um, I will say that it seems, as somebody who's never watched the show, it seems like something that's totally up either Amazon or Netflix's alleys. Yeah. Like, yeah. it could totally belong on either network. Yeah, I, I think agree. it would do better on Netflix, probably, but the thing is that Amazon already has the streaming rights for the first three seasons, mm-hmm. because they're the ones oh. who've been, like, uh, taking care of, you know, like, for people who want to catch up and stuff. So, uh, yeah, so it might be less, uh, like, they might have contractually first dibs on it or something like that. That would be interesting, especially because, and this is a completely off-topic thing, but Amazon is definitely trying to butt heads with Netflix a little bit harder with all their own original content and such. Mm -hmm. So although it would technically do better on Netflix, I'm sure, because Netflix just has more users, um, it might be a really big pull for Amazon to get some more Prime subscriptions. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if, like, I don't associate, it's not just the audience, I I don't associate Amazon with doing anything quite as dark as Hannibal is, Um, whereas I know, like, Netflix funded uh, the original series, um, oh, what's it called, Hemlock Hemlock Grove, Grove. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was I, about to actually point that out. Yeah, as I tweeted, like, Hemlock Grove is like the diet soda to Hannibal's fine red wine. <laughs> like, it's, uh... A few episodes of that, I couldn't get into it. I watched the but... first episode, and I was like, this is okay, and then I never watched any more. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of like that. The first season is based on a novel, and then the second season is they just wrote it themselves, and I think the second season is substantially better for that reason. Oh, wow. Um, but it's a, it's a very like, sort of self-serious but actually very cheesy like, uh, vampire werewolf kind of story, a la Twilight, but a little bit less, um, tweeny, I guess. Are yeah. we doing Jupiter Ascending again? <laughs> I still haven't watched that. I need to. So good. <laughs> Are you watching it right now as we're recording? I, 
I should do that. Can we? Can I just like live commentate Jupiter ascending? Yeah. While... <laughs> oh man! If you want to, if you want to live tweet Jupiter ascending, like, are we gonna, feel, are we gonna do that God. sometime, Kyla? I, I would we totally just do that. Queue it up and live tweet Jupiter ascending. Oh snap! But <laughs> yes, it does have it does have that sort of like, I don't know, um, like self serious cheese vibe that Jupiter ascending does. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's a little bit more coherent, and it's, like, very dark and bloody, but in that way that's a little bit eye-rolly, where it's, it feels like they're just kind of doing it for shock value. Although yeah. it does have probably my favorite werewolf transformation of any werewolf-based media, um, where, like, the the wolf, like, literally eats its way out from inside him. Oh, that's cool. Which oh, is pretty fantastic. So it's like awesome. it, it like it like expands and like you can see like his like his teeth fall out and his like eyeballs pop out and stuff and like the wolf like like sort of fights its way out from the inside and then like eats the like leftover meat. That's that... so metal. Oh my <laughs> god. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty intense. I'm gonna do it. It's probably actually gorier than anything that's on Hannibal. <laughs> but uh Good God. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um the the main thing I didn't like about the first season of uh, of Hemlock Grove is that while there's actually so cool thing is that there's actually like kind of an even number of male and female characters and like all the characters including the female characters are really well rounded and sort of interesting and have depth and backstory and you know it's it's pretty cool but like all the female characters die <laughs> kind oh, no. of insane I think it's like it's it's a pretty large cast so I think I can't there's like let's say roughly 10 characters of each gender and like two male characters die and like eight female characters die whoa yeah oh boy yeah it was it's kind of insane i actually sat and counted uh, like at one point like counted out all the characters and who all dies and it was it was kind of like insanely one-sided and they don't do that as badly in the second season Mm -hmm. um but yeah so the first part of our podcast is going to be TV from now on, it sounds like. <laughs> well, do you have other stuff that you that happened to you this week that you want to talk about? That's I not- had to give up my car today until quote-unquote sometime tomorrow because there's been this weird tapping against hard plastic noise um, underneath the dashboard for the last couple of weeks whenever I start my car. cat trapped in your car? That's kind of what it sounds like. Um, it's very regular. It's happen. just tap, 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 tap. And it's exactly 50 taps every time I turn on my car. Wow. Um, That's interesting. So that is a you smart, the, the you, cat you wants counted to multiple times? Oh, yeah. I, I had to I mean, it's been like two weeks. <laughs> I, at, at some point, I noticed the regularity of it always seems to last about the same length of time. I wonder if it's exactly the same amount of clicks. And then I counted several times, and like sometimes, a couple times I got 49, a couple times I got 51, so I'm just going to assume I that I just counted like poorly. Some kind of like um, cog wheel spinning against something that has like exactly 50 cogs or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I mean, I brought it in, I explained it to the guy, um, and he's like, oh, okay, I think I know exactly what it is. It sounds like it's an issue with your climate control system like okay cool that makes sense because it doesn't the engine doesn't have to be turned on for it to happen i just power the car on and then it happens Mm -hmm. because i have a car with a button to power it on um and 
then I, he was like, okay, cool. Are you just uh, leaving it here, or are you gonna like what are you what are your plans now? I was like, well, um, I mean, I can just hang out. I don't know how long it's gonna take. He's like, well, we can get it back to you sometime tomorrow. I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you can hang out here overnight if you want. Yeah. But, uh, sleep like, over. All right. Do you guys have a shuttle service or something? He's like, yeah, we'll schedule you a shuttle. And then an hour and ten minutes later, somebody called my name to take me on a shuttle. Yikes. They don't so, have, like, a loaner car that they could give you? Nope. That's a bummer. Real. Well, at least it's only until tomorrow. I, I actually just got my car back last week. I had to get, like, all new tires. And they are like, yeah, you got a bunch of valves that need need to be replaced. And also your <laughs> taillight isn't working. But then they, like, figured out what was wrong with the taillight. And they didn't charge me anything for that. But it was like, that was like, I mean, it was like a week without my car. But granted, I don't drive my car anyway. So <laughs> I drive it once a week to move it so it doesn't get towed. And that's about it. I need what, to do something with my car. What car, what car do you have? I have a Subaru. Oh, I love Subarus. Yeah, Subarus are the best. I know. Yeah. I like what, what what year is your Subaru? It's an 04. Oh, so that's it's it's that's fairly old. decent. Yeah, but like they last forever, so. <laughs> we have a 95 Geo Prism. So. Damn. <laughs> yeah, Geo, it is. Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> it is constantly uh breaking down. Huck yeah, calls it sudden blue. Um <laughs> Oh boy! And it is, yeah. It's pencil. It spends a lot of time in and out of shop. It currently has two working doors, I think. Uh, maybe. Think? <laughs> no, it has. Sorry, it has one working door. I was about to. I was about to ask if you think it's two and not three, or if it's two and not one. Well, so. But then you just decided it is in fact the, one. Yeah, uh, the drive actually. Uh, yes, it's the passenger side front door that works. Because um, the driver's side door is fine, except it the yes. lock is so old that it doesn't unlock from the outside anymore. So you have to mm. unlock it from the passenger side. I um, see. Then the back doors, one of them has the uh, child lock stuck on and can't be opened uh, from the inside. Oh, no. Uh, and, and, and the lock has to be, like pulled up manually because it's the the um, automatic locking thing is too weak to push it up so you have mm. to reach from the inside to unlock it and then open the door um, with an actual oh no sorry that one can't be open from the inside the, it's the other one that has to be unlocked from the inside and then no the child like the child lock one is also missing its door handle up uh, on the outside. That's the problem. The oh. other one is the one with the stiff lock that has to be opened with a combination of like the ins the inner handle and the outer handle at the same time because both of them are kind of weak. Um, so yeah, it's a it's it's falling apart. This car. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I I'm not quite there yet. I can't open my back hatch because the like latch is rusted or something. So that just doesn't how is open. that a problem? Like, how do you ever lose uh, a Subaru? Uh, how many miles do you have? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. A lot. I've driven it. <laughs> yeah, I've driven it. go like 200,000 yeah. miles easy. Yeah, like, well, I'm, because they're Toyotas, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm probably... I, I don't want to guess. But I've driven it, like, back and forth, like a 13-hour drive between Iowa and Colorado a bunch of times. Wow. And I've driven, like, I drove it from Iowa to Seattle when I moved here. Like, I've got 
a lot. I've got a lot of miles on it. It's yeah. it's it's been around the block. So yeah. one of my friends just um like purchased from some old lady somewhere a new car. Let me let me look up his thing real quick because I'm curious. You? He had a Toyota like an 04, I think it was Camry with like 250 some thousand miles. <laughs> Damn. And then he got. Um, or maybe it was a 2000 and then they got an 04, something like that, because it's it's still an old car that he has bought, but it has like 15,000 because it was just owned by this old lady who literally never drove in it ever. <laughs> so it's just like, well, okay, you got the best deal ever known yeah. to humanity. Yep. Good God. Yeah, Sudden Blue has has had some experience because it's driven like cross country several times because we yeah. we drove from Los Angeles to Pennsylvania and back. Mm. So <laughs> Yeah, that's a drive. Well, occasionally we'll talk about video games. Haha, <laughs> stealing taglines. Um but we should probably talk about video games. Yep. Probably, right? We should talk about video games. So do we want to talk about cars at least? Yeah. <laughs> we've so we've we mailed to... TVs and cars real well, so let's <laughs> hope we can do Rios the same way. We could talk about like, do you want to talk about cooking next? We could talk about cooking. Ooh, we could just cooking make this... is a subject that we haven't really touched on on this podcast. Multi-purpose podcast. A lot, I have a lot to say. I've been meaning to go out to the the PCC oh, and buy some fancy ramen noodles for my homemade ramen because I discovered yeah. an awesome ramen broth recipe. <sighs> Hell yeah! I've been trying not to eat carbs. For a week, I've done that. Failed have video time. games. Have you been? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, we got it. Yeah, do... next time, next time we'll do we'll do a cooking we'll do, show. Like, cooking and and I don't know. Obviously, what needs to happen is that we like... need to have Skype calls more frequently, just as friends, so we can get all of this nonsense out, <laughs> and true. then actually make a podcast. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> this is this is authentic, right? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, something like that. Okay. Video games, Rios, go ahead and tell us about it, uh, Kyla, Cage Tiger, okay. person. So, so the game we played this, this week, or this two weeks, uh, was Rus, which is a Dutch strategy game that is basically sort of an inverted RTS, where instead of controlling buildings and units, you control resources. Uh, so the gameplay is that you have a little circular world. It's 2D. Uh, and you can rotate all around the world, and you have four giants that do your bidding. And each giant uh, has control over one type of landscape. The forest giant can make forests. The swamp giant can make swamp. The rock giant can raise mountains, and the ocean giant can lower oceans. And there's some additional rules like swamp and forest can only be in locations that have access to water. And if a, an area is blocked from access to water by a mountain, then it becomes desert. And desert, swamp, and forest are the three livable biome areas of the game. So all, all the sort of main building stuff that takes place uh, in the game, at least for the humans, takes place in one of those three biomes. Uh, each of the giants also has the ability to create uh, sources, which are uh, different map elements, there are minerals, animals, and plants that create resources uh, on the planet. There's two of each type, so there's um, 
exotic let's see if I can remember them all I wasn't going to do this but now I am there's exotic animals that give you wealth and uh, they're like farm her, like, yeah farmer farm farm like, yeah like harvestable give, animals yeah they give you food um, there are herbs in the plants there are herbs that give you tech and fruit plants that give you food and then for minerals there is a wealth mineral and a tech mineral so it's the three resources are tech, food, and wealth, and they're distributed sort of uh, une- not unevenly. There's two of each, but they're not. It's not like both of you know both animals give you the same thing, or both minerals give you the same thing. They're uh, they're distributed among the six different types of sources. And um, there are uh, like secondary resources, I guess you would call them, like yes. the awe and yeah. I was gonna and... yeah, I was gonna get into that. So the, there's okay, cool. hidden hidden resources as well, uh, which are awe, danger, and um, natura. Nat- yeah, natura is the third one. Uh, which uh, natura is basically like how sort of rich in nature the area is. Awe is like how in awe of things the villages uh, will be, which um, helps prevent greed. And danger is how threatening the usually animals are to. Uh, I think maybe only animals uh, um, are to the local. Danger to iron mines, if I recall correctly. So there I are think, mines which. Can I think. Get... Do do iron mines actually cause danger, or do they just like they do more if they have danger on the patch from nearby animals? Oh, you know what? You're you're they probably do. right about that. Never yeah. mind. There's yeah. Danger. Yeah. But so I think there's some symbiosis that causes danger. Yeah, so there's yeah. Yeah, there's a variety of, uh, of yeah, there might be some like, minerals that like increase the danger of nearby yeah. animals or I something like, like that. I think it's like iguanas. If there's a mine nearby, will be more dangerous. dangerous. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I, dangerous iguanas. <laughs> that, I love that. Yeah. My greatest that fear. Logic there. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, yes. So there's so those uh, so the main three uh, the wealth uh, food and tech are a little bit easier to manage because it's it tends to be pretty clear how you're going to get them whereas the three hidden resources you kind of have to know the systems a little bit better in order to make the best use of them because they're uh they're less obvious um so when you put any of these uh one of these six sources somewhere on the map what it becomes depends which biome you place it in so for instance uh if i am placing herd animals and i place them in uh, the somewhere in the ocean, they'll become mackerel. But if I place them in the forest, uh, they become chickens, yeah, they said? become chickens. And if you uh, place them in the swamp, they become frogs. Uh, and in the desert, they become uh, kangaroo rats. So each of these different unique uh, sources has. Um, symbiosis elements so that they will uh, be more effective depending on what you put nearby them. So for instance, chickens in the forest uh, operate better next to blueberries because they can feed on the blueberries. So they will give you more food if the space next to them has a blueberry. Um, These sources can also be upgraded with aspects. Each giant has three aspects that they can cast, which are sort of just little bonuses that on their own they give improvements to to whatever source you cast them on but if you cast specific ones of specific power level then you can upgrade for instance chickens uh, with a herd aspect upgrade into rabbits 
and then the status of like what helps them that's nearby changes. So chickens do best next to blueberries, but rabbits do best next to other rabbits. So as you make your resources more powerful, um, you have to change your strategy of what's around them and what you're, like how you're combining things. Uh, so that's the parts you have control over. The human element and the sort of randomness element of the game is that based on what areas have space and where the resources are, humans will come and settle on the map and form villages. And they gain prosperity based on what resources are nearby. And as they gain prosperity, they also try to complete projects. So there's like little buildings that they would like to build. <clears throat> but in order to complete the projects they need, each project has a requirement of which resources. So, you know, if you're wanting to make, I don't know, what are some of the early ones? Like, like the granary just requires a ton of food. Yeah, yeah. Fun, Like 30 food yeah. or something. Yeah. Like, like yeah, the, the trade post and a couple others. I think the yeah. druid in the swamp is yeah. one. Druid circle, yeah. Yeah, so they start small with little things like that where you got to get maybe 15 gold and 15 tech or something to complete a project. But as as their projects, as the game goes on and they finish more low-level projects, they sort of increase their, they grow and they increase in their technology level and they ask for bigger and bigger projects till by the end you're building them like opera houses and circuses and, you know, hospitals and things like that. And those will require like, 1,250 food and 300 wealth and 100 tech and also like 25 awe or something like that. Um, so it gets much more complicated. But when humans finish a given project, they give you uh, an ambassador from their village. And ambassadors uh, power up your giants. And depending on what biome the village was in when it completed a project... Uh, they will give you a different ambassador, and different ambassadors power up your giants in different ways. Uh, but you must be careful in increasing the prosperity of villages, because there is also a greed system, where if villages become too prosperous too quickly, then they start to become greedy, and first they will start to attack neighboring villages and try and steal their resources, and if they go too long without getting their way... Um, then they will also start to attack your giants. And your giants can be killed, and if you lose any giant, then the game ends automatically. Normally you have a set time frame in which you are trying to achieve either a certain amount of prosperity or get specific um, projects. Specific builds. Or yeah, specific yeah. builds, specific projects, and so on. Um, so you got to be careful of greed you can use two of your giants have destructive abilities there's the rock giant can create earthquakes and the swamp giant can throw like toxic sludge and so you can use that to quell uprisings and to punish villages that are too greedy um, but you got to be careful because if you punish them too much then you destroy the village and you lose all the prosperity for that village and it's a it's all a very complex balance and, so and also I think worth worth mentioning if if your village starts making a project and you're like I don't want that project like my swamp guys kept trying to build mad scientists which requires them to like go kill the nearest town and I'm like I don't want you to do that you can <laughs> you can destroy that project and yeah. it'll just go back to whatever the previous form was and yeah yeah and eventually eventually they will pick something else although sometimes they have a habit of picking the same thing like three times in a row which is always <laughs> yeah. very annoying 
Yeah, it's worth noting that there is a a minority, certainly, but a decent number of projects which require that you de- destroy a different village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which, unless or that village wants to go to war, yeah. then you have to go and physically destroy it yourself. Mm-hmm. Which I never completed one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't mind occasionally. I will complete ones that require destroying a village, because if it's a village that's like already greedy anyway or isn't doing too well, sometimes it's like, all right, I'm willing to sacrifice that village so that mm, this village can be stronger. But I almost never do the ones that require it to go to war because the only way to force a village to go to war is to up their greed uh, and I don't want to have greedy villages and it the, the war system is actually the more a village has gone to war and been successful uh, the more likely they will be to go to war in the future and success isn't just oh, determined by them beating up on the other villagers <laughs> if you if another town goes to war with that town and you stop them like if if they win a war by divine intervention, <laughs> it still counts as a win. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so if someone attacks them and you destroy the army on route, then they win. <laughs> um, which is amazing. Yeah, and you can see how many wars your village has won because they get little like war banners in their descriptive, uh, like their village description. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something important to keep an eye on. So I I posted a lot on the forum about uh, what I really love about the systems in this game is the way that they overlap in really interesting and um, but asymmetric way uh, ways. So for instance, um, you have three um, sorry you have six uh, you know source types but four giants. So you can't just put, like, one on everyone or two on everyone or something like that. So two of them have two each and two of them have one each. And But to fill that gap, you get, like, the ocean giant gets healing abilities and the forest giant gets buff abilities and the other two giants get destructive abilities. And you have... it's I just think that these... And you have things like... Um, you know, creating the same resource in a different biome has different symbiosis. So it, you can't just do like one animal next to one mineral in every biome, um, which is a is actually a problem I have with a lot of strategy games because, especially I think tower defense, but even like RTSs and stuff, when you have one strategy that works, then if you're getting attacked from like multiple sides or something, you like say you have like a t- tower defense game where there's like three places enemies can attack from. If you kind of know generally how to defend against enemies, I always end up making the exact same defenses three times in three places. Uh, which is much harder to do in a game like this because you can't do... The same strategy is not going to serve you well in the, in different locations because every situation is so conditional. It's depending on, on you know what the... Uh, village is trying to build and what biome they're in and how close is like the nearest mountain and how close is the nearest other village and so on and so forth. So that for me was what made this game really sort of strategic and interesting. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think the the randomness um, is sort of what does it for me in both a good and a bad way. <laughs> um, I, I like that, you know, you can start a forest village and sometimes they'll want a granary but sometimes they'll want a temple and you have to just completely 
change your plans if they don't start <laughs> building what you want them to start building. Uh, which is annoying sometimes, but it's I, I like being kept on my toes that way. Yeah. And it goes kind of fast to change resources, though. So yeah. I don't. I didn't feel like that was a problem. Yeah, and it's although it's you do kind of have to think ahead because the giants have travel time um, and cooldown time on the resource creation. So if you're you know trying to fill you know an orchard of you know you're making a pear orchard in the uh, in the forest somewhere, you you know it helps if you already have a lot of plants down because the aspect to create to turn them into pears refills much faster than placing a new plant entirely. Mm -hmm. um, so what strategies did people find that they enjoyed? Uh, I, I think, see, I don't play a lot of strategy games, so my strategy was mostly flail and hope I get lucky. <laughs> um, did that work? I mean, like, I'm Sometimes, curious. sometimes it did work. I, I had a couple really good runs, um, and I had a bunch of not-so-good runs, <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's my problem um, with strategy games in general, is that I, I am a little bit reactionary. I'm not super great at planning ahead in games. Which is weird because I'm really great at planning ahead in real life, but whatever. I am so the opposite. I could plan ahead in games all day, but when it comes to life, I'm just like, you know, I don't want to, no. I don't, I'll just take it every an hour at a time. I don't need to get groceries before I take my car in, right? Yeah, exactly. That was exactly <laughs> what happened to me, actually. <laughs> um, but I guess uh, since I'm already, I've already opened my mouth, I'll talk about mine a little bit. Um, I, so... My background is in a lot of traditional RTS. Like I've played a lot of Warcraft, a lot of Starcraft, um, and then I've played things like League of Legends at very, you know, in, for a couple thousands of games and Heroes of the Storm, stuff like that. So I, for me, I'm way out of my comfort zone when I'm put into a game like Rius, which <laughs> uh, doesn't allow me to like just have a build order sort of thing like I'm used to okay I know what I want to do every single time I get in here and I just optimize on doing that as effectively and efficiently as possible and it's been really difficult for me to wrap my mind around the way Rius uh, <laughs> for, the, for those who haven't been like paying attention to other other podcasts uh, Chris is intentionally trying to pronounce mispronounce the, the game to get a rise out of me continue <laughs> um, so I, I've been having fun with it um, but that's where a lot of my potential negativity comes from is actually I think it does what it does really well but when it comes to like quote unquote strategies that worked really well for me I didn't really have one either I was kind of like Kelso I didn't flail as much but it was more that I tried to do the same thing every game and the game wouldn't let me and I got frustrated um, that's, that's so interesting because that's actually exactly what I like about it because I hate when strategy games have like one strategy that you're just trying to be the best at implementing. Right. Like, yeah. And that's I, what's I like interesting having to for adapt me in this conversation. Situa situationally. And I think this game definitely like emphasizes situational adaptation. <laughs> um, Absolutely. One thing I, as I, I, I kind of forgot we, to mention. We uh, um, need to let Carl speak. Oh, sorry. Carla. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. My playthrough, I tried to, like, I just winged it based on the 
projects the villagers had basically but I just when they had when a project started I basically just paused the game and then tried to figure out something that would work and then tried to implement it I wish there was an easier way to see your symbioses without actually having to plant your sources yeah yes so yeah, that, and that's that something that you just kind of become familiar with over time. But yeah, it's yeah. a little bit tough. Yeah. So that touches like Kelso and and Carl both touched on the two things. I actually that's the strategy, Carl, that I ended up starting to implement better. Is that I would I I don't like it. I, <laughs> I hate pausing. It just doesn't feel right to me to be in a real time strategy game that I can pause. Like that just feels like <laughs> thing. But um, after I got, you know, decent, put a few hours in around the five hour mark or so, and keep, I played maybe a dozen hours, I think. Um, so around the five hour mark, I started to pause more. And then I basically did exactly what Carl described doing, where I pause when I get new developments, new things come up, new information to parse. And then look around and kind of decide, okay, I've got X number of minutes until this development is done, X number for this one, X number for this one. How do I plan this out? And so I would also kind of plan things out accordingly like that, which suits me a little bit better. But the fact that I had to adapt so often didn't just, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. I don't know why. Um, Kelso touched on one of the major things that I didn't like about the game other than just it being incompatible a little bit with me, because I had a lot of fun with it, but definitely incompatible with the way my brain is working. Um, Kelso pointed out that there's not, I mean, the, the core thing of that is that there's not a lot of information that the game gives you until you experiment with it. And I feel like it's a really big ask to say, okay, player, you're not going to feel good at this game or you're not going to feel like you know a lot about this game until you've played 30 to 40 hours. <laughs> I guess that's why there's a link to the wiki. Like, on Which I also the, hate. The <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't take advantage of that. I felt like that would maybe cheapen, cheapen the experience for me. Yeah. Um, uh, but so I can see why it's there. I also think that's the primary uh, reason why they have the system of unlocks that they have and... Uh, Carl, I know you posted on the forums that you really didn't like this, but um, I think they, because they don't give you all the available sources to start with. They give you kind right. of a handful, and then you unlock them as you're playing the game. So I think the intent is that you show at least some small amount of mastery over the starting sources, and then they gradually roll out new ones so that you can learn them as they become available, which I think is actually kind of vital to the game because I think if they gave you all of your choices right up front as you said like that level of complexity is kind of overwhelming when you're not Absolutely. familiar with the system yeah. I but, think the game could have go done, ahead, Carl. done it differently and unlocked it yeah. in another way yeah there's no reason that you couldn't have unlocked it during play but I do, yeah. I do like that it's at least tiered in the sense that you don't have access to everything right at the beginning I guess I, my my only real problem with the game is how little information it gives you. Like even when I go through the uh, menus and I find the things that are unlockable, I, let's say I mouse over pear tree, it's just like 
it's a tree of pears and gives me some like Wikipedia information about a pear tree. I'm like, no, I want to know how it applies to the game. It doesn't give me stats. It doesn't give me anything like that. And if I'm in the game and playing it, I might, you know, evolve. I don't know what the term is, but evolve one of my um, tiles into something that has the potential to evolve into something that's locked, let's say. And there's a little lock icon over the thing. If I mouse over that, it doesn't tell me the name of it. It doesn't tell me what stats it would get me. It doesn't tell me how to unlock it. It just says, you haven't unlocked this yet. Please keep experimenting. <laughs> and that's my problem with it is just it's so it, it seems to hold so much of its information away from the player, which I feel is to its detriment. I, it's going to work for some people, but and, and you know, to its credit, it's a pretty cheap game with tons of playability and replayability. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. But for yeah. at least for a gamer like myself, that just bugs me. Like I want to be able to know or at least research <laughs> all this stuff and like have an idea of, okay, I know I need to do this to unlock this and I'll get there and I do the thing and I do the thing and it the whole like just go out and play and experiment until you get all the stuff and until you know things. That's what bugs me. And it just doesn't work for me personally. I don't necessarily yeah. think it's, you know, like a quote unquote bad design or whatever. But yeah, it just I doesn't work Eve for me. White, Eve White mentioned that specifically in her uh, in her forum post. By the way, Eve White gets a gets an A plus uh, this week for yes. for yeah totally. for, for having made like a really good forum post uh, about the game. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, she mentioned that like the game forcing her to explore the possibility space was a thing that she felt. But she mentioned that as a positive in her context. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I think that is very much like a playstyle thing. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I was going to mention, I think, something around uh, pausing, uh, which you talked about before, which is that I also, like, don't like the feeling of pausing in the game and actually have never gotten really good at it. And right now I'm trying to face down, like, the last six prestige challenges, and I am having a really tough time. And I think if I was better at pausing, I would probably be a little bit better. <laughs> uh, I, I love hate that feeling of like I have something difficult that I need to overcome I think I know what I need to do to overcome it mm -hmm. but I'm just not good enough to do it yet <laughs> yeah like it's having a clear direction but also being insufficient mm -hmm. and I think it's it's vital for like the er the very very early experience because it's such an overwhelming complexity that you need a chance to like you don't want people to panic Right? You yeah, want them yeah. to be able to say, like, okay, let okay. me not feel time pressure. Let me just hit pause so I can actually look at the state of my game and think about what I'm doing without I feeling think... like I'm under constant time pressure. It, it helps me in my flailing. I yeah. say I'm, I'm, okay with, I'm okay with pause. Um, I do want to ask, and then there's, I, I want to ask one thing and then bring another thing up afterwards, but I'll ask first since we're on the topic of pausing. What is making pausing difficult for you? Like, what is the, the block that you feel like you're running into when it comes to pausing well, quote-unquote? I feel so... It's it's actually... It's the inverse of what it's supposed to be doing, because that I'm supposed to pause so that I don't feel time pressure, but instead, the feeling of time pressure makes me not want to pause, because I mm. feel like I'm, I'm under pressure and i got to get things done immediately, and so pausing feels like uh, you're giving up you know you're failing that pressure right 
You're like failing to mm-hmm. think as so, quickly as you need to be thinking. It's not and a mechanical it's... thing of like you don't know when to pause or something like that. It's that you're it's, it's like a psychological block. Yeah, it's entirely okay. emotional psychological. <laughs> okay. But, well, I mean, when you say I'm bad at X, I normally think of it as mechanical bad I, when it I comes bad to at, I am bad at forcing myself to do it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I think it's worth definitely talking about, is that the tutorialization of the game and the way it ramps up difficulty and ramps up the challenges that you can access is really smooth. Yeah. Like, it starts you with 30-minute games, and then you do a couple of those to unlock enough achievements that it says, okay, now you can play for an hour with a little bit more complex stuff. And then you do that a few times and unlock those achievements. It's like, hey, now you can play for two hours. Mm -hmm. And you've still got more stuff to unlock, but if you can make it two hours, awesome. And then you'll unlock even more stuff. Like, it does do that really smoothly and in a way that I, I think feels really good. I just, like, my only complaint is that they don't give me enough information about what is there on the other yeah. side. Yeah, I, I liked that ramping up um, a lot. And also the the unlocking thing. Um, it It's a nice way of sort of forcing you to temper your own expectations of yourself when you're just getting into the game. Especially yeah. for someone like me who doesn't play a lot of strategy games. Um, that was really helpful in keeping me from feeling overwhelmed right at the outset because if that had happened I would not want like I wouldn't still be thinking I could like continue to play this game in the future yeah <laughs> I would be like I'm playing this game only for the podcast and then I will never play it again well so one one thing that I love about the way that they did it specifically is that they I mean there's the unlockable complexity thing where you you just it bars a lot of your stuff behind unlocks but it also uses the constraint of time as like the primary way of holding you back. Which I think for this game is really elegant because the game does just become more complex as time goes on. Yeah. And like even if you have everything unlocked, playing a 30 minute game is gonna be relatively simple. Like it's gonna be more complex than the person who just started out, but it's a much simpler experience regardless than a one hour or the two hour game. Yeah, there's so I definitely just, some project developments that you like really just don't even have time to crop up in half yeah, an hour. Yeah, it just yeah. won't yeah. happen. And there's there's you won't get as many um, ambassadors as a result, and therefore you won't get as many powers on your giants, which means that you just simply, even if they're unlocked, you won't get to some of those developments on your tiles. And some of that complexity just won't be there. So I, I really, really appreciate how they did that and and how they actually gate that where you have to get a certain number of achievements and the achievements can be like finish the game with x prosperity or with a desert town that has this or with a forest town whatever the fact that it's like okay well we know you can do this within 30 minutes now so we know you're good enough to handle playing for an hour it's just i i do really like the way they did that yeah i think that's super smooth I'm, uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that I really that are kind of subtle about this game that I really like. Right. Um, I think, f- for instance, uh, the danger mechanism is kind of interesting. Uh, that was interesting. I haven't messed with it much, so please explain it for me. Yeah. So there's uh, some animals can be made to have danger, which is represented mm-hmm. by like a little fang and different amounts, and every uh, plot 
on the in the animal's range has the danger of, of that animal. The total danger within a village's borders is recorded on the village, and the village has three states. It has not in danger, which is like its calm state when the and the, these are this is like a bar that fills up where there's like two. Imagine it cut into thirds, right? So the first third is the village is not in danger and it's calm and normal. The middle third is the village is uh, under stress from the danger, which is where they um, they are like under threat from animals, but not so much as to be harmful to them. And when the bar is in that middle third, greed will not increase for the village at all. Also, you get really cute little animations mm. of like your villagers trying to fend off snakes. <laughs> yeah, so I love that. And then yeah. if it goes, but if it tips over into the final third, then they are in overwhelming danger, and they will send out their military to destroy gotcha. one of the animal plots. Okay, because I was going uh, to ask about that specifically. There was one instance where I messed with danger. Um, that's funny sentence to say <laughs> out of context. <laughs> um, I think I created great boars of some sort and loaded them up with the aspects. So I, I don't think we went into it, but you create these resources on these tiles and then your giants improve them with things called aspects, which allow them to evolve into better tiles. Right. Um, and the aspects themselves have some sort of stat boost associated with them. So the aspect that I had was an as uh, a, had danger associated with it yeah, and so great boars or whatever. Either the predator aspect or, or the hunt. hunt? Yeah. I think it was yeah. the hunt. I think it was yeah. the hunt. Um, okay. And great boars also have a decent amount of danger innately, I think, and, and probably a symbiosis for danger. That's what I'm feeling like. Yeah. Um, uh, and if, so they're, I, if they're like, I don't think I actually usually use great boars, but uh, javelinas in the desert have that as well, where the more hmm. javelinas there are in proximity to each yeah. other, the more dangerous they are. I see. So. Well, this was this was in the forest, um, and it was it. I only done it once, so it's not like something that I incorporated in a regular strategy. I just accidentally got a great boar, and I was like, "Well, shit, danger sounds good," <laughs> and so I loaded it up um, because I was like, "Oh, it'll make the villagers not hate other villages or my ocean giant who got annihilated in one game." Um, so anyway, I loaded the shit out of this boar with danger stat. And immediately the forest just sends out this giant hunting party and rocks <laughs> that tile and it's just destroyed and then they walk back. Like, yep. well, that was weird. Yeah, it so was then too I just dangerous. Did it, again. it threatened their village. <laughs> yeah, I did it again and instantly they roll out. <laughs> I was like, well, shit. And then I, I just didn't experiment with danger anymore. I kind of yeah. pulled a Sean Bouchard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as but, the village gets larger the the size of that bar changes so that like it requires like the threshold become for minimum danger becomes higher so, so the I, bigger I the village is the more it can defend itself against danger yeah i remember that bar now now that you say it and have explained it to me <laughs> i remember seeing that bar every time i clicked on a village mm -hmm. and seeing numbers and seeing three image panes and One never knowing what any of it meant. <laughs> yeah yeah. Zero I think, clue. I think the but game now has that you a say problem. that, it makes a lot of sense. I think the game has a problem with it gives so it's even if it cuts off some information until you learn them, it still has a very much amounts of different information that you have to get yeah. to kind of forget yeah. about them. 
Yeah, every yeah. single thing you click on, you get a uh, like a a little text text box full of information about what it does and how it can be improved and right. what's the current status and yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is what pausing is great for. Yeah, um, I'm it, this game without pausing would not be as good. Like yeah. as much as I, you know, have the same conflict that it sounds like everybody else had with. I, I don't want to pause. It's a real-time game. Um, yeah. I totally appreciate what pausing does for the game and that it lets you say, okay, hang on. I've made a bunch of new stuff. I have these new projects that are going on that I've never seen before. Let me just read and absorb everything and kind of understand what's going yeah. on. I it's, say it's good. That's the, that's the primary problem I have with most MOBAs, actually is because you're expected to make decisions about like what items to buy and so forth in real time, I feel like I don't have time to actually like look at all my options and consider what they are. Um, I've never had that problem with... Oh, MOBAs, MOBAs. <laughs> MOBAs never mind. Yeah. I, <laughs> my brain... Like, you said MOBAs. <laughs> and even I said MOBAs. <laughs> my brain said MMORPGs, and I'm just like, yo, you have a million hours to research that shit. <laughs> But so. with MOBAs, and I guess this is the same... So it's interesting because you've uncovered kind of a conflict that... Well, a contradiction within my gamer philosophy in that normally I really dislike when a game makes me go to a wiki to understand it better. Like, I feel that the moment that I've gone to a wiki is the moment that the design has failed to teach me something. Mm-hmm. That said... In competitive multiplayer games, I am all over the internet doing all sorts of research about everything all the time. Um, Which I don't think is... Like, my justification that I'm coming up with right now is that a lot of what's going on in competitive multiplayer games is defined by the metagame, which is created by the players, which the game can't really teach you. Um... Because said, in a, like, in a vacuum, would teach you what at least what the items do in a MOBA. Yeah, I don't right, understand how yeah. new people get into MOBAs. Well, it's I mean, you know, day, I day can't nine even remember about when I started. But... Yeah, um, I don't get into MOBAs. So I, there you I know, go. Yeah, I I haven't either. I know Huck got into MOBAs by watching a lot of competitive MOBAs streaming right. before ever playing it. Right. And that's, that's how I got into Nuclear Throne. Like, if somebody just dropped me into Nuclear Throne and said, hey, play this game, I'd be like, what the f- are you, t- are you serious? No. Uh, no, thank you. But after watching, you know, 70 episodes of somebody better than me playing it, I'm like, okay, I think I can jump into this game, know what's going on, and actually play and perform decently. Um, Sean Plot, Day9, talked about this on one of his Hearthstone streams one day, you know, his, his normal um, tangents, that there are very few genres of game or very few games that re- literally require another human being to teach you what's going on before you can become proficient, and MOBAs are one of them. Like, yeah. Especially if you take Dota. Like, League of Legends is a little bit simplified in a good way, in my opinion, but either way, um, it's a polarizing statement to make. <laughs> but um, let's take Dota, where one of the core mechanics, like something you need to be good at, is killing your teammate minion when it's at a minuscule amount of health before the opponent can. (laughs) That is an actual thing that you need to do. 
as a new player sitting in that chair, you're going to be like, oh, okay, my, you know, it's cool. They're, they're my teammates. I never attack them. Yeah. Um, but your friend sitting over your shoulder is like, no, 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 attack that thing. Attack it. No, hit A, click that. You're like, why? No, just do it. Listen to me. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just buy that item. Why? Just buy it. It'll make your HP bigger. You know, yeah. so it's, it's definitely one of those things. And especially like, the minion example, like that is so counterintuitive to the system itself. Right. Like that, that you don't want to attack minions at all until you can get the last hit. <laughs> and then you also want to last hit your team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. It's so there's a lot of weird stuff going on in a lot of MOBAs. It's why I actually really love Heroes of the Storm. Um, but that's a discussion for another day, or yeah. maybe this podcast because I'm probably the only me and Carl are probably the only two people who um, play them regularly. And Carl is way better than me at Heroes of the Storm, apparently. But where did this I conversation am. come from? Oh yeah, uh, Wiki wikis. culture. Um, so that's. I guess that's my justification. You know, it's it's a meta game defined by, and so I. Mobas try, right? <laughs> like, they have like suggested items up top, typically in their shops. That it, it lists out the stats of everything. It gives you all that information. But you're right. There's no time to decipher all of that. Yeah. Um, which is where researching online comes in. Which, yeah. or or just playing offline. There are. All of these MOBAs now have like co-op versus AI games where there's no stakes, and then you can, can kind of hang you out. Can you pause in the shop. those though? You can't pause, but if you hang out in the shop, nobody's gonna really care because it's yeah. AI. You'll and... still lose that game though, oh, because totally you're not. spending time, because you're spending time sitting and and reading instead of like defending your. Not really. Stuff. I don't. Yeah, think so. I I not, I think you'd be okay. Game. Like the, the I only... guess if you have it on super easy or something like that. Yeah, like the only experience I have playing Heroes of the Storm is just doing like bot matches with some of my friends, um, which which they all play sometimes, and I just like I'm they're just like come play a bot match, and I'm like I I guess. <laughs> so it's mostly like mm-hmm. like one of my friends being like, okay, you're gonna follow me, and you're gonna do what I tell you. I'm like, cool, right? You got it's exactly it. that experience, right? Yep. The, That's to, really interesting. To, to the credit of Rus, um, I can't say the possessive form of that and roll my R at the same time. I, I just can't. Russes. Yeah. Or, hang on, hang on. Re we. <laughs> <laughs> Are you Well, now? we isn't really a. Well, no, we is a, a sort of. Anyway, continue. Um, to their credit, <laughs> for all. For all that they put the wiki on the like main menu, there's a lot you can do with just sort of exploration and experimentation yes. before you ever even have to consider looking at a wiki. Uh, yes. I got really far. I only started looking at a wiki when I hit the point where I really... I was like, okay, I've explored... I've done as much strategizing and exploration as I think I can do on my own. I'm not getting any better. Let me look at some information to see if I can optimize. Right. Uh, and that that was for me that was probably like at least 50 hours in. Yeah. So I I should mention I've played like over 120 hours of this game. Right. <laughs> so and I know it pretty well. I can understand why you would. Um not even like a why you would do that but like <laughs> i can understand why anybody would play a lot of this game it 
gives you tons and tons of replayability for what it is. My main snag with the exploration piece, well, no. Okay, so here's what it is. It's that instead of having a wiki button, why didn't they just have an in-game way of giving you that information? Have the wiki basically be there? Yeah, like, why do I need to go to a wiki? Like, it's it's a single-player RTS with a limited number of things, which it has a list of all of the things in the game already in its menus. It just declines to give you the statistics on them. Yeah, that's that seems like an oversight. Maybe it's, I mean, it is a small team. Maybe they ran out of time. <laughs> right, and that's what I was going to say. Could have run out of time, run out of budget. But if it were deliberate, I can understand why they would. I can I can put myself in the mind of the person who does that deliberately. Yeah. But I hate them for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I is what I'm trying maybe to say. They were trying to encourage like a fan community outside the game, so maybe that because that? because indie games historically have issues that. with yeah. yeah with marketing and and yeah you know it's not a game that received a lot of press you know, for sure. If if it's deliberate on that level, then I will shake that person's hand and call them a genius. <laughs> I will still hate the fact that they did that for that particular you know reason. But that is a really, like, it, you might have hit the most clever way <laughs> to get your indie game to, like, form a community ever. <laughs> the most clever way to get your indie game to form a community. Also the most clever way to get Chris to hate you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can appreciate that level of, of dastardly villainy. To hate and respect you. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, by the way, I, I just want to say that based on the conversations we had about MOBAs earlier, I totally think we should have a MOBA episode at some point. Oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, That's could. scary. I kind but of yeah. have a... I kind of feel like... Uh, it's it, Although it's being alleviated in some of the more modern games like LOL and Heroes of the Storm, my opinion on MOBAs is that they are criminally... Um, overly complex because they are not designed games. They are games that fell together out of circumstance. And so they you know, do not have the streamlining of a game that was built intentionally from the ground up. But the fact that we are derailing our Rus conversation <laughs> with Obas tells me that we should do at least one podcast. Yeah, on all Mo- right. Maybe, maybe we should. And as a theory, just throwing it out there, Carl and I are pretty proficient in most MOBAs, it sounds like, and you two are not, so we could kind of have a play alone for a while and then, you know, pair up with one of us and kind of like, this is how it works sort of thing and see how yeah. your experience changes. Anyway, that's so for just, that's for off-podcast talking, but I yeah. hope we can do that at some point. Yeah, I could see I, there being enough uh, MOBAs for us to all also try a variety and, and oh, yeah. pair. I mean, there's I LOL, you, Dota, Heroes. However, Smite. the, the Smite. pairing up segment will just be, you get mad at me. <laughs> And no, actually, I I get sad about it for a little. I am while. actually a really <laughs> even-tempered gamer. Like I I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I'm genetically a high-functioning sociopath or some other reason. <laughs> but I'm a very even-tempered gamer. The last time I don't remember the last time I raged at a game, honestly, or at a person playing a game. I so. get mad when people <laughs> get mad at some of my teammates. Yeah. Oh, you get mad, so, but you don't you get mad at your teammates. I don't want okay. that. Kind of bullshit attitude. 
I think that's another one. You can never win like that. Is that what you're saying? He says he get mad at he get he gets mad at people who are who are like bullying teammates. Oh yeah, totally. I get mad at them. That's true. I I don't like rage hard or you know feed it because that just makes it worse half the time. But I might might say some encouraging um, stuff to the person who's being bullied. That's another barrier for entry to me. I think is just like the community surrounding most mobas is just sort of notoriously shit. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up too. One hundred. And I, so. I don't like playing multiplayer games just in general, and I have even less of a desire to play a multiplayer game with people who are jerks. So Totally understandable. There's that. I'm yeah. really excited by this subject matter, um, but we do need to talk about Rios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, to bring it, to bring it back to Rios, um, the, the thing about... Um, frig, I actually did have a thing I was going to segue into. What was it? Something about it being a single player. Oh, like most uh, most strategy games require to some extent a multiplayer component because they'll have like a campaign, mostly yeah, RTSs, um, but you don't really fully experience the game until you've played it against another human mind, which is not at all this game. This game right. has like single player only and you but the system is so complex that you really feel like you're sort of stretching your strategic muscles and adapting and you know like think, working in in a single player context which I really like because I normally don't like multiplayer games the best way that I could describe that feeling that I get from it is that I'm playing chess with myself <laughs> like does that does that make sense do you identify with that at all yeah uh, when playing this, playing this one or playing multiplayer games? Playing Rus, Rios. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm playing chess with myself because there are so many things that I'm managing and trying to balance, and there are risks that I at least actively take. Like I will let my town become greedy because I know I can park my rock giant in the way of the armies and smash the armies, but because I'm on a time limit, I know that making them greedy gets me that project faster and yada yada yada. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm kind of playing with fire here and there throughout the game, and so I kind of feel like I'm, I'm just playing chess against myself, where I'll make a risky move, and then I'll sit on the other side of the table and be like, well, shouldn't have done that, asshole, and then, you know, <laughs> checkmate myself, or vice versa, but it definitely feels like there's a lot of replayability there, despite not having a different human mind to interact with, which I think is really unique. I'll go one step further and say it's like playing chess with yourself while a small child is trying to rearrange your chess pieces <laughs> in, in that your villagers just sometimes might thwart your designs because they're I, little little jerks. I would say, yeah, there's, a, there's an element of that. I would say that you start with different chess pieces every time. That, that's, that, that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, because projects develop throughout the game and you know, out of your expectations, there's an element of rearranging in the middle of it as well. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got it down. Like, there is an element of randomness that definitely means it's not actually chess. But that's the feeling that I get from it. Yeah. Well, I would chess. say, rather than chess, I would say solving a puzzle and you're trying to yeah. fit the pieces into the right place. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It does certainly have some of some element of, like, see a problem come up with the solution of to the problem that feels very puzzle-like. Huh. 
It, it is. I can see where you're coming from with that. I never really... Like, I looked at some basic things as puzzles. Like, I look at starting my village as a puzzle. How do I optimize this number, this very limited number of tiles to make sure that I get my first project done ASAP? Like, some of those things. But once it gets a little bit more complex, I do feel kind of adversarial about it, which might be tied to my play style of mostly letting my villages become greedy. Mm -hmm. And so I do feel like there's a little bit of back and forth there. Like, my, my playstyle typically, in most of my games, turned out that my villages would become greedy, sometimes very greedy, and then I would develop a solution to their greed once their, like, the once need for their... Once they tip over into red? Well, no, actually. <laughs> <Or else> slimeball Latin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once their, um... Like, once the need for their extremely fast expansion was concluded, like, once mm -hmm. I got my goal from it, I would develop a solution for their greed to make them happy again, to make them stop attacking my ocean giant, and then wait for the next development to come up. Like, that was kind of the way I was playing. That's how my brain worked at it. So for me, it felt pretty adversarial um, rather than, like, peaceful puzzle solving. <laughs> I, I think one thing that I, um, if we're talking about puzzly aspects, one thing that I really liked and I wish there was more of, or maybe there is more of, that I just haven't gotten to that point yet, is the really specific uh, achievements, like, you know, build up a town to X prosperity with only this resource. Yeah. Or one of the earliest ones that I did that I thought was really fun was, like, have a forest town that has, you know, X tiles of water and, you know, however many resources. Um, mm -hmm. I really like those yeah. very specific things. Which is a great way, by the way, of ensuring that you make a forest village with a lot of water so that it encourages development of the harbor project if you hadn't, haven't yeah. seen harbor yet. Right, yeah. I, my, that, that little town was an island. Yeah. And it was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I, enjoyed I, I that. appreciate that stuff as well. Um, it, that also mitigates my... One of my number one problems with strategy games is I tend to fall into a rut. I tend to try one thing, and then if it seems like it's starting to work, I only do that. And yeah. so, so you mean you play them correctly most of the time? Well, I mean... <laughs> For no, non-Rios games, that is usually the right way to yes go. Yes and no, because the thing is, the strategy I've found is not usually optimal, and it's oh, not okay. necessarily... The like I don't go looking for an optimal strategy. I just find just a strategy find that I like that you, to use. A game with, and then you just yeah, keep doing it. and then I keep right. doing it, and I don't look for like improvements on it, which I think is is to the detriment. And that thing yeah. you're talking about, where they like they have very specific in achievements, in, like encourages you to move outside your comfort zone and try things you might not have tried otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Although I think one of my problems is that I, you say you know, finding a strategy that seems like it's working, and then only going with that strategy. I have the opposite problem of I'll find a strategy that seems like it's working and then I'll forgot how I did it <laughs> and I will not be able to replicate it ever again. <laughs> so I feel like I need to like have some paper and just take notes while I'm playing. But I mean, that, I know that's how a lot of StarCraft players do it. They write yeah. down their build orders and like post it on the wall next to their monitor. Yeah. Maybe, um, I, need, maybe I need a whiteboard too. Yeah. Um, For, to, to answer your sort of half unspoken question though, Kelso, at the very end of the game, the last few prestige achievements that I'm getting, uh, the specific... So, there are um, eight 
prestige achievements that don't unlock any any new resources of any kind. Hmm. Um, they're just there to like see what you can do. Uh, and three of is it? No, sorry, twelve. Yes, sorry, twelve of them. Uh, three of them are just. They're all based on an hour-long game. Three of them are just have uh, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 prosperity at the end of an hour-long game, which mm-hmm. there's like bronze, yeah. uh, silver, gold. But the other, the other nine are you have to get in an hour game uh, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 prosperity for bronze, silver, gold, gold with no more than four ambassadors uh, that are not of a specific type. So, for instance, the bronze okay. desert achievement is you have to end an hour-long game with 2,000 prosperity and no more than four ambassadors that aren't desert ambassadors. Huh. So you're allowed four non-desert ambassadors total, and then the rest have to all be desert. And those are really, really hard. Yeah, that, that yeah. sounds... It, it means you have to go really hardcore dur- down certain build types. Right. So you're like, okay, what what giants will benefit from having entirely uh, desert ambassadors, and what giants can I get away with like having only one like swamp ambassador and then the rest desert? And you know, like, okay, if I'm gonna have mostly desert, that means that I'll have like access to the hunt aspect on. The forest giants. So, what resources can I maximize using the hunt aspect and things like that? So, okay. those are those are really tough. Yeah, that sounds scary. I've gotten I've gotten all the copper and half of the silvers of those last twelve, and I'm so I still am waiting on two of the silvers and all of the golds and and working on those. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if, if no one has any other specific uh, things that they want to address about the game... I have one. Oh, yeah. That is... I felt Rhys had a extreme lack of purpose. I didn't feel like... I didn't care about my world I created, because it was only... Because it was a new game and every time, and I didn't have a goal to strive towards. You didn't feel that the achievements gave you specific goals that you wanted to do? No. It felt like they were like a medal. I can understand that. I so I didn't actually mess around with like the unlimited time free play. <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> um does that okay, so maybe 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 you won't be able to answer this, but can you just like save your free play game and just go back to it whenever? I think so. Um but I think you can't unlock anything in free play. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I never felt, I never felt motivated to do anything beyond the goals of, like, striving for a specific goal. And maybe if I get these last, you know, six achievements or whatever, then I'll never play it again. That's possible. <laughs> um, but for me, they are very strong motivation. Yeah. I like, think it might, might be interesting to just, like, have a free play save that you just try to make your world as excellent as possible, knowing that it won't unlock you anything, but, like, that's still something you could do for, like, your own satisfaction. Yeah. Which At a certain cool. point, though, you'll have hit, like, you'll have maximized all the yeah. uh, the resources in, in the whole world, and then there's nothing left to do. Yeah. Have you guys played Progress Quest? No. It's a I game have, where you yeah, actually, start... Now that you say that. It's not really a game, though. You basically start it, and it plays by itself. 
<laughs> and you have to get the rewards. Well, there, yeah. there are also plenty of casual games that are essentially like that, where the only thing you do is, like, check in and collect at the at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. I felt very motivated by, by Rus. I mean, I, I have played over 120 hours, so obviously. But, uh, like, I for me, the, the fact that knowing that the game has given me goals to achieve is, is enough motivation for me to try and achieve them. I mean, like, I understand if that's not true for everybody, but... It certainly is for me. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, in case any of you intend to go back and play a little bit more, like Kelso, I know you said like it seems like something that you might come back to. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'd give some, like, just strategy suggestions that I've learned. Well, oh boy. give me one second. I do want to talk about the achievement a little bit, okay, the sure. achievement system. Um, I was kind of halfway between Carl and you guys in that what I kind of wish the game had done was said, like, every time I started a new game, said, try focusing on these achievements. And then I'd be like, all right, so these are my goals for this game. That's something that I would have gotten behind a bit more rather than just, hey, here's your list of 70 achievements that you could possibly unlock. What do you think? Go ahead and just look through this list and then start your game. You kind of have to manually uh, do that for yourself, though. Like, Although, to be fair... The, the and I did, screen but, yeah. does let you scroll through, and then whatever screen you're on, it puts reminders about those three achievements at the top of the screen. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed that, but, but they're not—they're not really like the way the the thing is organized doesn't really make those relevant yeah. most of the time. Yeah, so it's that's... hard to find three of them that you want to all be your goals. Usually, you find like yeah. one, and then it's the two next to them or something. Even even if. Um, it made me choose my own if I could at least choose three rather than just flipping through the pages and then whatever's on that page ends up going there. Yeah, that's like, fair. Just some element of giving me a specific goal that I don't have to just make up yeah. per game. is that's So I, I, was in the, I was in between. Yeah, I would actually I think that would be a really great addition if there was a system where there were like three slots and you would just like yeah. click the three that you want to work on and you could yeah. still unlock any of the or, others anyway. Or, you know, just a, a button but... that says choose for me as well and then yeah. you go in and do that. Either way, yeah. That's fair. Um, so so one, one thing to try that I learned this, like this was where I s- finally started to feel like I was doing, like I was being strategic uh, was when I discovered this. One of my one of my favorite strategies is to actually get a ton of villages right in the beginning. So create resources such that you end up with like eight or ten villages right at the start, and then get like a bunch of low level uh, developments, and then destroy half the villages. I did kind of that thing, but <laughs> I had I didn't have as many villages. But I once I got an ambassador, I destroyed the city. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, so yeah, you like can, you can farm. Yeah, you yeah. can farm ambassadors from low-level villages uh, pretty easily, and then you end up with better aspects and better resources early on in the game, which helps you grow the few select villages that you want a lot faster in the mid and late game. So I'm gonna be honest. I almost never destroyed a village. In the yeah. 12 hours that I played, I've destroyed maybe a let. Few enough villages that I could count them on one hand. Hmm. And uh, is that including... Uh, did you ever have villages destroyed by accident by other villages? Nope. Always protected them. Okay. 
Yep, I'm the same way. Sometimes yeah, I, I will let villages kill other villages if it's a low-level village that I don't care about. I that, smash I mean, villages. Yeah, what I, well, <laughs> when I say like the, I can count them on one hand, they were all the low-level villages that popped up like an hour through my, or half an hour through my yeah. game or whatever. I'm just like, yo, I put an animal there, but that doesn't mean you can settle. Fuck off. Yeah, like and then my, I would smash my villages need to, ex- my good villages need to expand into that area. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. I, I so tried to I mitigate, did that a few times, but. Yeah, I, I tried to mitigate those accidental villages by only having like three empty tiles on either side into which they could expand. And once they started to hit that threshold, I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll add some more tiles. I, I, I kind of started doing strategy. that too. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's why I, you know, destroyed so few of those accidental villages because I I caught on to that as well. But yeah, I just I have a psychological block on destroying a village. You can also stop villages from forming accidentally by uh, putting in mountains or ocean. Right. Uh, where I think that's you can what still... Kelso talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, because you can still they can still spread across that resource wise. They just can't settle there. Right. Can you um, small villages by just planting stuff everywhere? I think that is true. I'm, I'm actually not 100% sure, certain if villages can't destroy some stuff by... I mean, I know stuff. projects can. Yeah, I was going to say, I know they can destroy resources by creating projects over those those um, I don't think they'll settle on a project, because that's one thing that I was sort of playing with when I was trying to get that harbor harbor town, was like have forest tiles close to the water and then the outside of the four tiles closest to the water, like putting stuff there so that they wouldn't settle there. And that seemed to work. Well, like they didn't seem to settle on those tiles, but I... My question would be, given a large amount of settleable land, if you, let's say, let's say you didn't have a nomad for a while and you just piled it up full of plants so that you know, ten tiles in a row were plants, I would bet that it would settle on and destroy a number of plants because it would still have resources left. Whereas if the only available option is to settle on the resources, the only resources that are there, and then it no longer has resources, they can't settle. I'm thinking that's probably what would happen. That might be the case. Yeah, and I've only done it in, like, those early stages where it was just... You know, right, biome and nothing else. So yeah. I really have no clue how it would work later in the game. Yeah, and I, I manipulated my spawn points similarly as well. Yeah, yeah. No, my the first thing I always do is create an ocean and then put a uh, put an animal, so a fish, um, somewhere in the ocean, such that there's one space between the fish and the edge of the ocean, to encourage a village to settle right on the ocean's edge. Uh, Why? Yeah. Um, because that leaves me more bare earth for other villages to settle. Huh. Okay, fair enough. Um, and, the, and if I'm doing the max out villages in the short game strategy, yeah, then I, I right. need more space. That, yeah, that makes sense. Um, the, the If you don't use them already, the uh, forest giant and ocean giant have fertility boost uh, yeah. powers that are mm-hmm. super good. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize actually until very recently, until I started replaying for the podcast, that the ocean giant fertility boosts actually a huge section of the ground. Uh, so now I use that all the time. Nice. I didn't realize that either. I yeah, mostly they, they, just use the forest they, one. They, yeah, the, the ocean giants one um, heals the ocean giant and fertility boosts like seven tiles or something. Damn. Um, and it's 
it doesn't last as long as the Forest Giants boost, but it it's, can be very, very useful. Yeah. Um, also, pear orchards are the bomb. <laughs> pear orchards are the fantastic. Um, so are it's tea true. fields in the mountains and uh, white willow groves in the swamp. I just willows and cherry trees mostly. Yeah. All right. So that's the, those are my those are my strategic recommendations. Kyla's pro strats. Yeah. Yep. Pro pro tips. <laughs> awesome. All right. Do we have anything else to say about this game? I think it's a fun game. I'm looking forward to playing it more once I'm had a little distance from it. I guess. I was sort of hitting a plateau. Yeah. yeah I'm I'm I... glad that you guys got a chance to play it because it's it's one of my faves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, I don't know that I'll play it. I mean, I'm I'm sure I will play it again, but I don't know that I will really get into it, at least not on the level that Kyla clearly has. Well, I hadn't played it for a long time before we did this podcast. Like, hmm. I had, I'd sort of been on a break, but it is one of those that I sort of come back... You know, it's fun to come back to and binge for a little while. Yeah. Gotcha. And I definitely, when I was playing, you know, for this, I definitely binged, like, what day was it? I think it was, like... All of like last Thursday or last Friday, I was like, I'm not doing anything else today, <laughs> and I didn't do anything else that day. <laughs> nice. All right. So, yeah. so, do we want uh, Carl to talk about our next game? Talk about our next game, Carl. Yeah. So yeah. the next game we'll play is Beyond Good and Evil. God, it's a game by Ubisoft that was released in 2003, I think. That sounds right. It was really well received, but it. It didn't actually sell well, but it was <laughs> critically it got good numbers. Yeah, like like Hannibal. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean DJ Wheat keeps clamoring for Beyond Good and Evil Two every time there's an E3 and he's up there casting about it. Yeah, it's like Beyond Hopefully Good and Evil Two and Psychonauts Two, most requested <laughs> games ever. I think. So, you play as Jade, a photographer takes care of an orphanage and this is this takes place in space on a planet <laughs> also in the future like every other space <laughs> why is space yep. always in the future because otherwise how would you get from one planet to another we could be aliens in the present technically technically star wars takes place long long ago oh god that's true <laughs> it you also takes place in a galaxy that. far far away uh, yeah, but Star- also a long, long time ago. Uh, Stargate is contemporary, I believe. Oh, that's so. That's good to know. There's that. <laughs> anywho. Well, anywho. <laughs> it was, uh, it's, uh, as said, considered a really good game by many. It's a third-person action-adventure game. I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's a good, as good, good enough genre qualification as any. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of slightly a genretic. It's also like a photography game. Pardon yeah. me? Okay. Oh. It, uh, it tries to do like a lot of different stuff and mixes them together pretty well. Yeah, so this is another story-heavy game. Yeah. It's... I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I've been wanting to play this game for like a really long time, and I just never got around to it. Oh. I've so played, now I have a reason. I've played the first half of this game twice on my PlayStation 2 and never finished it, so this will give me an excuse to play through all the way. I've, I've never interacted with this game other than knowing its title. <laughs> I played as Kyla the first half, but only once. 
Okay. So yeah. it'll the the end of the the, so at least the never, second half yeah. of the game will be new for all of us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, and then I will lobby very hard for the podcast after that to be the MOBA podcast. I'm just saying. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll talk about that <laughs> offline. Uh, Carl, is there anything specific that you want to look for in terms of design, or that you think we'll be likely to discuss? Well, I'm gonna look for at least uh, how it sets it apart from other games like like say the Selva games okay so how it's or different from like, other third person action yeah. games okay yeah that's a good because relation. it does some really interesting stuff if I remember correctly because mm-hmm. okay. yeah that's like one of the things that I've kept hearing about it is that there's just a lot of things that you don't see in a lot of other games which mm-hmm. is what would be some examples of its contemporaries in that space? I mean, we say Zelda. I would probably say Tomb Raider is another uh, one that's like in the era. I- Ico, maybe? I don't actually know when those when that came out. Let's see. It was uh, originally PS... Was it originally PS2 or PS1? It was... Wasn't it, like, released on every thing that <laughs> existed? Well, but first, I think it was a. Oh, it was. It was also GameCube, so it was like. Uh, I think GameCube, it was X- PS2, Xbox, PS2, GameCube. Yeah, that's and even right. PC. Okay. Yeah. Two thousand three. Uh, when did Kingdom Hearts come out? Actually. Uh, also around two thousand three, if I recall correctly. Two. I, it wasn't two thousand. I just did a quick though. Google. Some of the other games from two thousand three. It um, was a great year. Yeah, Call of Duty, <laughs> Planet Side. Knights of the Old Republic. Um, okay. Was God of War Metroid around Prime. then as well? The original God of War, I mean. I don't know. I'm looking. Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire. <laughs> Not Those related are... at all. Yep. Knights of Persia, Sands of Time. Yeah. Wow, Kingdom, that was Kingdom, Hearts, Kingdom Hearts was 2002. So Kingdom Hearts yeah. is roughly contemporary. So right. That's, that's what I was about to I say. I think it was 2003. 2002. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so that gives us a good selection of games to compare it against. And uh, I tried to, yeah, I just tried to wiki God of War, and it took me to an article about deities representing war in various uh, <laughs> in various cultures. I mean, technically speaking, that's probably more relevant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> looks like that was also the year GTA Vice City got Xbox and PC ports. God of War was 2005, so God of War was a little bit after this. Gotcha. Okay. The Hobbit. I totally had that game. I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> I'm just looking at a list now. Yeah. <laughs> Max Payne 2. Yeah, yeah. Deus Ex. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's some stuff. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. That'll be an interesting comparison. We'll have to we'll have to come into the next uh, podcast with a, a list of games. To remind ourselves. Yeah, that's good because I I actually played replayed Knights of the Old Republic like sometime late last year, so that's kind of fresh in my mind. Okay. I imagine that's going to be. I mean, it's a contemporary, but I imagine it's going to be almost different Not, genre. Yeah. Like it's it's just going to be really really different. Yeah. But okay, so listeners, you have two weeks from when this podcast comes out to play Beyond Good and Evil. It's on Steam, right? And probably GOG as well. Yep, I bought it on GOG. And it has an game. HD remake that it's only 360 and PS3, though. Okay. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. nice. 
Uh, it might know... fix the shitty camera. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm. Don't I'm tell me there's a Kingdom PS2. Hearts camera here. <laughs> no, I think there's more freedom than that, but I don't actually remember. Um, yeah, I have it for PS2, so I'm going to be playing it for PS2. Nice. I was well, going to see I if was anybody hoping... has differences in different versions. I guess. Yeah, I was hoping yeah. someone would have like an older console version in in case of things to compare. Yeah. yeah. I'll be playing it on PC, so. So will I. Same. It's up to you, Kyla. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you guys know if the experience changes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So, forums and plugging and stuff. You can find our forum yeah. posts at uh, undefinedbehavior.com slash forum for now. Are you still working on migrating the forum? We are still working on migrating the forum. I'm okay. sorry. Um, we uh, we keep trying to rope it. Sean into a conversation about it. But there he is, of course, a very busy it, man. I'm sure when it's migrated, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm there sure, will be yeah. all sorts of notifications going out to everybody yeah. once there's but some until sort then, of migration. Yeah, but I until then, go of, Yeah, I was seeing a lot of talk about it, so I wasn't sure if that was, like, you know, imminent or not. It so. should be, but it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> like there, cool. there was a, a, a statement of, hey, when are you guys available this weekend to talk about it? And then it was not mentioned all of the weekend. All right. So yeah. it yeah. is vaguely eminent, is what yeah. I will say. So, But until then, undefinedbehavior.com slash forum is where you go to discuss uh, the the beyond your thoughts and feelings about Beyond Good and Evil. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter, at Feedback Force, and of course... This podcast that you are currently listening to at this very moment is on SoundCloud. So I'm not going to tell you what the address is because you're already there. You did it. Good job. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, do we want to plug individual plug, community plug stuff? Plug your streams. Do it. Sure. Do the thing. Um, well, on, on the Undefined Behavior Forum, there is a now helpful... Uh, community schedule page that has everybody's stuff on it. I'm also known as Thanarod, and you can follow me on Twitter at Thanarod, and you can see me on twitch.tv slash Thanarod when I do the Sunday Game Club. Um, I might expand into other streams sometime soon, and I do occasionally now play Nuclear Throne for, you know, just because uh, at random odd hours. So that's it. Uh, the Sunday Game Club is every Sunday at 8 p.m. We might finish Kingdom Hearts next time and then move on to some other games, or we might be playing Kingdom Hearts for two more Sundays. I'm not sure, but that's a thing. Kingdom Hearts, like the end of Kingdom Hearts is going to be the end of an era. <laughs> it's going to be so sad. It's going to be like giving birth. We're have post- I don't know if it'll depression. be quite like that. Uh, I guess I don't know either. Never, <laughs> I've never given birth. I just have a cat. I I stream on Saturday evenings. We are playing Final Fantasy VI uh, on my yet as of yet untitled stream that Thanarod really wants me to call Uncaged Fury. Um, <laughs> and uh, so Final Fantasy VI Saturdays at 8 p.m. PST. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Cage Tiger spelled with a K. Uh, I'm also at Kyla underscore Go if you want to follow me on Twitter to look for updates about like other stuff I might be doing. Uh, also, Sean Bouchard is not here, so we will plug his play-by-play for him, oh, yes. which is Wednesday nights at uh, 9 p.m. on um, twitch.tv slash ifandef. Yep. Yeah, ifandef. Um, and he is currently playing uh, Heroin Quest. And please note that all times given were in Pacific Standard Time. Yeah, Pacific Daylight Time, actually. Well, please. whatever. <laughs> oh god, what are we gonna do when we're in a different time zone from you, Chris? 
Uh, I mean, when, when it, our daylight saving stuff happens, I don't, and yours doesn't. I don't. I don't even. <laughs> I wish nothing, we could just. All, I wish will we happen. Just all I will. Be... I will continue playing on Pacific Standard Time and doing everything on Pacific Standard Time. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's very nice of you. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, for the foreseeable future, I have Sundays off. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For listening. Yep. Thanks. Yep, and... We will see you in two weeks for more for talking about games. Yep. And Best maybe wishes. cooking. Yeah. And for the record, cooking. Uncaged Fury is also spelled with a K. Yes. If it, is. If it, if it becomes a thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're pushing so hard for this. So hard. Uh, all right. All right. Bye, bye, bye guys. everybody. Bye. bye.